This morning's, <clears throat> this morning's reading is taken from Deuteronomy and it's the whole of chapter 11, Remaining Faithful. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you and how the Lord brought lasting ruin upon them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the desert until you arrived at this place. What he did to Dathan and Abram, sons of Eliab and the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all of Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things that the Lord has done. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today, so that you may have strength to go in and take the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you've planted your seed and irrigated it by foot in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of your Lord God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will rain, rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain on the ground. It will produce no produce. You will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers, as many as the days of the heavens are above the earth. If you carefully consider all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to hold fast to him, 
Then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you sit your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the deserts of Lebanon to the Euphrates River to the Western Sea. No man will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he has promised you, will put the terror and the fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. See, I am setting before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God. Turn away from him. Turn away from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerzim the blessing and on Mount Ebel the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan, west of the road towards the setting sun, near the great trees of Moreth, in the territory of those Canaanites living in Arabath, the vicinity of Gilgal. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws that I am setting before you today. This is the word of the Lord. Very good morning to you folks. It's good to be back with you. Consolidation is the word. A time of consolidation, not TLC. (laughs) Consolidation, I think, means you can carry on doing all the stuff that you've done, but don't take on new stuff. We did it at St. John's. Consolidation. (laughs) Not TLC. Well, it's great to be back with you, and uh, that was very well read. Thank you very much. A long chapter, but a wonderful chapter. I've come... I've come to love this book of Deuteronomy, as I have with all the books I've preached. I don't know what I'm talking about. But this is a wonderful, uh, just, very quick, just very, very quickly. Deuteronomy, as I've probably said before, is three sermons by Moses to the people of Israel, <coughs> to the people of Israel as they're about to enter the land. <coughs> Excuse me. This is not the people who have wandered it. Well, they've wandered it in the desert for 40 years, but these are, these are the children who have grown up for those 40 years. And so... Um, Uh, Moses is giving them a sermon about what to do, how to behave in the land, what they are to do, and what they are to remember. Uh, So just remember that uh, context. Well, let me pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. One of the things that I found really tragic uh, when going through in my many years of ministry Uh, is when somebody, for some reason, uh, gives up the Christian life. I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it a few times. Uh, It's happened to a number of people that I've known. And it is very, very tragic and very sad. It could be that some of them grew up in a Christian home. They went to church, went to Sunday school. But at some stage, maybe in their teenage years, they turned their back on Christianity. Others who may not have come from a Christian home, they seem to come to faith, uh, they seem to make a commitment, they get all excited about their faith, all excited about going to church and reading the scriptures, they go to all the Bible studies, they're absolutely on fire. But after a while, after a couple of years maybe, the fire begins to go out. They don't come to church anymore and they fall away. 
For some of them, they find the Christian life too difficult. The issues that they have to face are just too difficult. There's too much of a change, as Jay spoke about. There's too much of a change when they become a Christian. Some of the things they have to give up. Or they develop a relationship with a non-Christian or many non-Christians. Whatever it is, they fall away, they lose their faith. I think it's one of the saddest things in ministry. And if you're going through it, if you know somebody or somebody in your family, you'll know exactly the pain of what it means. Well, Moses foresees this danger with the Israelites. They love God and they obey God now, but in the land, verse 16, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away from God and worship other gods. And if you know the Old Testament, the further you go into the Old Testament, you'll know that's exactly what happened. And it happens today with Christians. It can happen to a church in many ways. Are you drifting from God? Are there things which may be taking you away, enticing you away? You may even come to church, but perhaps you're not as committed as you once were. Your faith is growing cold. It can happen. The Christian life, as I keep saying, being a Christian in this culture is very, very difficult. How can we not drift from God? Well, in chapter 11, Moses tells them three things for them to remain faithful. And it's great advice for us. And don't forget, we we can drift from God as well. So he says three things. Firstly, always be mindful about who God is and thankful for what God has done. In verses 2 to 17, Moses reminds them of all that God has done for them. He says uh, that by God's power, signs and wonders, he brought, them out of their, he brought them out of Egypt. He brought them and their parents out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea for them to escape Pharaoh's army. In the wilderness, they would have starved, but God miraculously provided water and food. He protected them from stronger armies. But also, verse 6, the opposite. They saw God destroy some of them because they rebelled against them. And verse 7, Moses says, you saw God do these great things for you. And in all these experiences, God has been teaching them that if they love, obey, and trust God, he would care for them. They would stay in the land. But verse 17, if they don't, they will perish. And it's important they remember all this when they live in the land because, as Moses explains in verse verse 10, Canaan is different from Egypt in that Canaan relies more on the direct, on growing things, to grow vineyards and crops and grass and produce. They need rain and sunshine. That's needed, for which they must depend on God totally, every day. In Egypt, it wasn't as clear Water came from the Nile through irrigation systems which they had dug, they themselves. And in a way, it depended on them. But in Canaan, they will rely on the weather totally. So in a way, in Egypt, they did it in one sense. In Canaan, they must trust God daily. Look at verse 10. In Egypt, you planted seed and irrigated it by foot. But the land across the Jordan is full of valleys and mountains that drink rain from heaven, which God watches continually. So, verse 13, if you love and obey God with all your heart, verse 14, then I will send rain on your land in its seasons so that you may grow your grain and new wine and oil and provide food for your cattle. You will eat and you will be satisfied. But, verse 16... Be careful that you don't turn away from God, otherwise 
He will shut the heavens, it won't rain, and it will yield no crops. And you will perish in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God has been trying to teach the people of Israel this over and over again in the last 40 years in the wilderness. If they love God and obey God and trust God, they will live. If they don't, they will perish. It's very simple. But in the busyness of life, it's easily forgotten. And it's what God tries to teach us every day in our Christian life. Love God, trust him, and you will have life with him forever. In short, be mindful of God and be thankful for God that all he has done in Jesus Christ. God gave you life. He gave you his son. He preserves your life. You know, the longer that I'm a Christian and the older I get, the more I realize how thankful to God I should be. I spend longer in my daily prayers now thanking God than I do on all other parts of my prayer life. And our daily prayer life should be spent mostly thanking him. And if you have begun to drift from God, this is the first way back. This is the first step to the way back. This is where you start. Remembering with gratitude all that God has done and continues to do. My dear friends, the very next breath that you take is dependent upon God. The next step that you take is dependent upon God. And the opposite of not being thankful is to take God for granted. And we must never take God for granted. That's the first thing. Secondly, to remain faithful, be diligent in reading the scriptures. And by diligent, I don't mean using the Bible as a sort of spiritual lucky dip, where you sort of dip into the Bible, grab a verse for the day, and that's my little verse for the day, and that's what I'll have. I don't mean neither, uh, like, uh, use the Bible as a spiritual treasure hunt for guidance, where I take this verse, and I say that verse over there, and I say, oh, well, look what God's got me to do today. No. Diligent means it's the Bible principles that are important. The Bible principles. Moses here says three important things about a Christian and the scriptures. First, verse 18. Fix these words in your, fix these words in your hearts and minds. Yes, God's word teaches fundamental God-given truths that we are to learn and believe and live by and do. But the scriptures are more than that. For the true Jew, God's word was more than commands written on tablets of stone to obey. They were more than that. It was that, of course it was. But it was alive. It lived. God breathes through his word. It sort of gives life for his people. I was talking to a minister friend of mine many years ago, uh, and he, said, he told me that after a sermon once, uh, he was on, a way, on his way out, a lady said to him, uh, uh, so-and-so, you bring the Bible to life. And he replied, I didn't know it had died. I didn't know it was dead. The word of God isn't just written and seen outwardly. It's alive in a Christian's heart and mind. It feeds and nourishes and convicts and strengthens spiritually. Paul said in Colossians, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
That's it. That is exactly it. God's word is God speaking to God's people, and it is alive. It speaks to the church. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. As a Christian reads and studies and meditates on and hears God's word read and preached, it feeds them just as water feeds a plant. Well, is God's word like that with you? Is it dwelling in you richly? Is it alive in you? Does it feed you? Does it convict you? Does it sustain you spiritually? Some Christians hardly read the scriptures themselves at all. They read more the latest sort of flavor of the month Christian paperback. How to do this in ten easy steps, etc. God's word in our hearts and minds is what will keep us loving and obeying God in the difficult times, in the tough times, and in the blessing times. And the opposite. If as a Christian you're not reading, learning, growing in your understanding of God's word yourself, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, you won't grow in your faith. Nor will you grow in spiritual maturity. And possibly, possibly, you may drift from God. You show me a Christian who fixes the word of God in their heart and mind, and I'll show you a Christian whose faith perseveres through the tough times as well as the easy times. Secondly, Christians are to teach others are to teach others the word of God. Verse 19, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you when talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. If you're a Christian parent, please don't do what I should have been better at as a young Christian dad. Read and teach your children God's word in the home. Even further, let it be part of your Christian family life. Its principles should guide us in how we live and work and socialize. It should, it should lead us and guide us in how we make decisions and how we are as a family to face decisions and difficulties in a society which doesn't believe as we do. The scriptures are to guide us in that. After Sunday services, discuss the service at home. Not just how long the sermon was. Not just how boring it was. Not just how nice the preacher was. But its content. Talk about its content. What is God teaching us as a family about Jesus? What is it, how is it teaching us to behave? Many Christians come to church and all they're concerned about is what the service was like. Or what this was like, oh I, didn't, oh, I didn't get anything out of the service today. Oh, I didn't do this today, or whatever. What, the service wasn't entertaining, or interesting, or with enough variety. And sadly, if I've been able to see, going around different churches, when I've been on holidays over the years, the sermons are getting less and less expository preaching from the scriptures. Go to different churches. There's little content it's all about social issues or telling nice little stories. or That's the second thing. The third thing Moses says regarding God's word is about speaking to non-believers. Verse 20, write these words on your door frames and on your gates, which meant people outside the, people outside the home saw and read God's word. Isn't that incredible? And if the Israelites did that, verse 21, their days will be long in the land. Now, I hope you can see the obvious biblical principle here. Evangelism 
brings God's blessing. Non-believers enter the kingdom, which is a great blessing. But something else. In the New Testament, one of John's letters, his third letter, John says, I have no greater joy than hear that my children are walking in the truth. Isn't that wonderful? I have no greater joy, he says, than seeing my, seeing my children, what he calls his spiritual children, walking in the faith. Great joy, great blessing. What does that mean? It means evangelism feeds a Christian's soul. Evangelism spiritually nourishes Christians, energizes them, lifts them, feeds them. Have you seen a non-Christian friend or workmate or son or daughter become a Christian? Could you sleep that night? Did you get on the phone and tell all your Christian friends? Did you tell the vicar as quickly as you could? Of course you did. Of course you did. You couldn't stop. You were so excited. Of course you did. It feeds your soul. I met a Christian brother for coffee a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he was telling me, he was actually going through a lot of disappointments. He was going through many disappointments. And he talk, we talked about these disappointments for about 25 minutes. Then all of a sudden his eyes lit up. And he said, but Wally, he said, one of my friends has come to know Christ. And he just lit up, bump, all the, all the disappointments are gone. It's just wonderful. Jesus said, heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Just one sinner repents. Evangelism does that for a Christian, but also the opposite. If a Christian is not interested in evangelism, never gets involved in or prays for the lost, their Christianity will lack life. Yes, they'll still be Christian, but they'll lack life. And they could drift spiritually. It's the same with the church. If a church isn't evangelism-driven... If it's always inward looking, it won't be spiritually healthy, and eventually that church will die. Look around the churches in New Zealand today, <clears throat> particularly the traditional ones, but not all of them. Most of them are dying. Why? No evangelism. There's no evangelism. There's no rearing new Christians. Is evangelism at the heart of all we do at St. Stephen's? Is that at the heart of everything that we do? So those things. Lastly, very quickly, to not fall away from your love of Christ requires commitment. Ongoing, renewed, purposeful commitment. Verse 26 is what Moses has been leading up to. He says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing, The blessing, if you obey these commandments of the Lord your God, the curse if you disobey and turn away from God. God's terms are very simple. Love God, obey him, and you'll receive God's blessing, eternal life. Reject God, and he doesn't bear thinking about an eternity without God. And Israel must choose, and they must decide now, today. But it's also to be an ongoing commitment. Because when they settle in the land... The temptation to walk away from God won't be once or twice in their lifetime. It will be continuous. It will be almost every day. The culture around them will entice them, tempt them, not to, to, to forget God almost daily. And Moses, or God, let's say, does a very practical thing. 
He says that there are two mountains in the land which will remind them of their commitment. The first, Mount Gerizim, was to remind them of their blessings. The other, Mount Ebal, of the curse. In the land, when they settled in the land, they would see these mountains most days. And they would be lifelong symbols of what they committed themselves to on this very day. To love and obey God and not to walk away from him. They would be visual reminders every day. Because, you see, with all the stuff in this new land and all the busyness of life, it won't be easy to remain faithful to God and keep loving God. But if they renewed their commitment every day, it would remind them. And it's exactly the same with Christians today. Following Jesus Christ requires a decision. It requires a definite choice. You don't inherit Christianity. Just because you live in a Christian, you know, in what we call a Christian, Christian uh, country, we don't inherit Christianity. Even if you've grown up in a Christian home, even if you've been baptized, even if you've been confirmed, all of that stuff, you still have a decision to make in life, to follow Jesus Christ or not. There's the decision. And yes, that decision is made when you first become a Christian. But like the Israelites, it's ongoing. Day after day, year after year. And it takes perseverance. Because we too, for many reasons, are continually tempted to turn away from God. This week, you will be tempted to fall away from God. It's very difficult, it's hard to persevere. As I said at the start of this sermon, I think it is difficult being a Christian in this society, which seems to be going more anti-Christian, and we can slowly drift away from God. We can slowly drift away from God's truth. For example, most of our society, the people that we live with, think that all religions are the same. They think they're all the same. They're Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, but we all worship the same God, they say. Or people say that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, as long as you do your best. You don't have to go to church as long as you're a good person. Love thy neighbor, etc. And we're all God's children. God loves everybody. That philosophy is everywhere in our society. It's ingrained in our society. So Christians, us, trying to be tolerant and trying to be loving, we often compromise our beliefs. We sort of water down God's word. Yes, we might still go to church, but as a church we focus on things like being part of a community or being relevant or not having dogmatic beliefs, which will put people off, you see. We develop a Christianity with a soft underbelly. We develop a Christianity which is fitting in with our culture. That is happening more and more with the church. And slowly... Over years, the church is drifting away from the God who is revealed in the scriptures. More and more, we make God into the politically correct God of our culture. The church today is facing a huge shift in Western culture. Massive shift. And Moses here, Moses' words here are as relevant to God's people today as they were 3,000, years ago. Verse 16, listen. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away from God. Be careful. How do we hold fast? How do we not get swept along with this culture and all the beliefs of this culture with its thinking and its philosophy? How do we survive? One, 
Remember who God is and what he's done and be thankful. Two, fix God's word in your heart and in your mind. And thirdly, commit yourself to Jesus Christ every day. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word. And thank you that it brings life, it gives life. We pray that you would strengthen us. There may be somebody here this morning, Father, who are going through difficult times and have temptations all around them and are finding it difficult to keep in faith. I pray your blessing upon them, Father. I pray that they would remember that our Lord Jesus Christ died for them and that they would remain faithful. But help all of us, we pray. Help us to persevere in the faith and help us to continually thank you for all that you are and all that you've done in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you very much. Dad's third point there was to follow God every day in our lives. The way we do that is very simple. We trust and obey. And we're going to sing that song right now. So would you please stand?